This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Tuesday, so it's time for our crack strategy panel. And as always, there's a lot to talk about. Finance Minister Rod Phillips will unveil his fall economic statement tomorrow. What can we expect? And given that the Ford government has backtracked on, backtracked on many of their cutbacks plans, will we see those, quote, efficiencies touted during the election? And where will they come from? And what about this kindler, gentler Dofo, who is now presenting himself as a unifier and offering to organize a premier's meeting here to make peace between the West and the East? And on the federal scene, Elizabeth May has stepped down as leader of the Green Party. That was expected. Yes, she has personal reasons, but is it also because she didn't make the gains many expected in the last election? Of course, we want to hear from our audience. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. I'd like to welcome Karen Stintz, former Toronto City Councillor and current CEO of Variety Village, and Aleem Kanji, Vice President of Government Relations. Relations at Sutherland Corporation and Michael Diamond, principal of Upstream Strategy Group. Welcome to you all. Thank you. All righty, let's start with Karen here in the studio. So, what are you expecting in the fall economic statement? Well, I think that um, it will be a more uh, stay the course type of statement. That I don't. I think there has been some uh, step backs from some of the cuts that were being proposed, which I think are reasonable. And, um, but I think it will really be hold steady approach. And I don't think we're going to see any major new announcements. And I don't think there's going to be many surprises. Uh, it was interesting that shortly before we went to air, the Liberals had a, a news conference and, and Mitzi Hunter, the former education minister who's running for the leadership, uh, you know, they said, we expect the deficit to go down and the Ford government has to come clean and admit that we, the liberals, left the economy in great shape. And, and that's why we are going to see gains. Michael, uh, is, is that an, a winning argument? Well, I don't think anyone's going to believe Mitzi Hunter on matters of what a strong economy is. So I don't think it's a particularly strong announcement, but I think uh, as a uh, strong argument, but I think uh, Karen makes uh, very good points. You know, it's important to remember last year's fall economic statement was the first time the new government after 15 years really had a chance to showcase uh, a uh, fiscal agenda. We're not going to be seeing that tomorrow would be my guess, because of course they've been able to introduce a budget and they've been in government for over a year now. So it won't be quite as big of an event as it was last year, but I think it will be really a, a, a plan that will be unveiled to uh, show balance across the board, balance in spending, balance in returning to balanced budget, and ba balance in building the problem. Aleem, I mean, this comes at a time where on the one hand, say with uh, teachers' unions, they're being accused of making uh, very damaging cuts. And on the other, on the right, uh, people are saying they haven't cut enough. They've backtracked from everything they plan to do. So where are they at? 
Well, this is one of the things we're going to hear about in the economic statement tomorrow. Um, we know that the numbers are going to be a lot more favorable uh, than, than they expected. And, and, and that is attributable to larger than expected revenues. Um, you know, let's face it, the economy and businesses, you know, when you want to compare us to Alberta, um, even some of the Atlantic provinces, um, Ontario continues to fire on all cylinders. And I think this is not what the government uh, expected. I mean, we're talking about, um, you know, getting back to balance from what was originally a $15 billion deficit, and that's with a B, of course, to now 7.4. Um, so revenues have actually uh, increased. And so um, there, there may be less uh, belt tightening because we're dealing really with a smaller deficit than was, than was originally expected. But so are the Liberals right in saying, you know, the Ford government tried to make it sound like a crisis, but they actually inherited a pretty good economy? Well, they, they did inherit a good economy, but I, I don't think that, um, you know, one can argue with the fact that, that spending um, was at an, an all-time high. I mean, if, if you look at the numbers, it was. Um, it, it's hard to predict uh, the, the direction the economy is going in. No one can predict higher than expected tax revenues coming in. Um, so, you know, it, 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 they are they are looking to do things differently. And, and any government would after 15 years uh, of power from uh, from another party. So, you know, we, we've got that to deal with. But I, I do think the the uh, deficit numbers, I'm not sure any any government could have predicted that it would be uh, in half. And that's not to uh, the the liberal policies of the past. It's not the conservative policies policies of the last year. It's the fact that that you know businesses are continuing to pay taxes, continuing to employ, and the economy is doing um, relatively well here in Ontario. One of the things that the government has come under fire for the last week or so. So we've had announcements on the one hand uh, from long-term care about allocations for beds, and this after the financial accountability officer came out with a pretty stunning report saying, even if the Ford government follows through on all their promises, these waste lists for long-term care are going to grow. And in the meantime, Andrea Horvath is up in the legislature every day saying, and this number is pretty eye-opening, she's saying in their first year, they only created 21 new long-term care beds. The government, um, Christine Elliott and, and Minister Fullerton are saying, well, it's complicated, it takes time, we're working on it, we've made these allocations. So how um, how important is that, Karen? And and how much, you know, how much, who who is believable in this? Well, I, I think actually both sides are believable. And I, you know, I, I, it's not that I want to avoid uh, taking an opinion on it, but, uh, you, you know, 15 years ago, I worked for the Ministry of Health and the Ministry of Long-Term Care on a project to build 20,000 new long-term care beds because that was seen as the way of easing the backlog in the emergency rooms. So fast forward 15 years, the province has added um, more than 20,000 long-term care beds, and we still have the problems in the emergency rooms. So while we do need more supports for our seniors and long-term 
care beds might be part of that solution, we still have a challenge understanding what is the reason that we're having the backlog and the bottlenecks in the hospitals that we're having. And I, and I think that we struggle well, to figure that out and we don't have a, uh, we don't really have a good answer to be mm-hmm. candid because we don't know. We've tried various things to clear that backlog and we've not been able to. Well, it's the growth in the population. I mean, people are living longer and, mm-hmm. and they're sicker when they need care. And when they get older and they're frail and they need more support, going home may not be an option. And yet the family may not be ready to be talking about long-term care. And so there's, there's, a, it's, it's a complicated time of life and uh, the solutions aren't all there for, for families. Aleem, are they vulnerable on this? I, I think they could be. I mean, it, you know, if you look at, if, on the one hand, if you look at the um, uh, the, the wait lists that are projected uh, to continue to grow until this this um, you know this fifteen or twenty thousand bed uh, uh, comes into play, we do expect it. And I think all eyes are looking at the fact that um, even though the wait lists are are, are going to peak, they will drop. Uh, once the new the new beds uh, come online, but but that, drop back to what they are now thirty seven thousand. Yeah, from the from the uh, forty from the 40, or forty three forty one thousand. Um, so yeah, they're absolutely vulnerable, and it is because um, we we do have uh, a population that continues to age, um, and that is outpacing really the growth of um, you know these these new long term uh, care beds. Uh, and that is going to make it uh, extremely tricky to um, uh, to make good on that promise to to end uh, the overcrowding. Now, this government's focused on um, you know uh, putting resources directly at uh, the front lines and how they manage that uh, alongside um, you know the 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 um, uh, the beds that that will be coming online is going to be something that I think. Uh, a lot of people are going to keep uh, their eyes on health and education really are it for the province. It, it encompasses almost three quarters of provincial spending here in Ontario. So um, everyone is attuned uh, to this. Um, and and I think at a macro level, how the the health, um, uh, how the healthcare system is going to to change uh, for the better uh, in in uh, in the term of this government. Michael, uh, you know, every time the government gets up to answer a question, they're talking about the mess left behind by the previous government. That's that's pretty standard. But how much longer can they keep doing that? Well, as long as it works and as long as it's believable, <laughs> obviously. So, uh, so I will expect that that is a uh, chain of communications that's going to continue because uh, the perception of the previous government is fairly baked in. One difference for this, uh, this government than other governments that have used that tactic is they now have an opposition that wasn't the previous government. So Andrea Horvath doesn't have to wear the mask uh, of the previous government either. So it, they're, it's, they're uh, trying yeah. to put it on her, though. They keep talking about the, the liberal government that she supported. However, briefly, that that's getting too far in the weeds, I think, to, to really resonate. Every, with people. every answer today and, and yesterday on that issue of long term care that was brought up, the liberal government that you supported uh, I don't know if it's having traction, but that's that's the answer. I mean, and, and mm-hmm. 
how long? I mean, isn't there, when is the point where you have to take responsibility? Well, look, there, there's no statute of limitations on <laughs> things like this, obviously, and government mismanagement, but the, the, the voters at some point are, are going to want to see results, and I think they're, they're going to get that, and I think the province has done a few important things. Last week on long-term care, there's obviously many layers of uh, building a long-term care space and a long-term care home, and uh, uh, to get one bed or to get 100 beds, uh, this is a process that involves multiple levels of government. So last week, for example, we saw Minister Steve Clark use his authority as municipal affairs minister to change zoning where a municipality was uh, dragging their heels and allowing a long-term care facility to be set up. So doing things like that are going to help. Other things that this government has been doing is uh, we'll never be able to build our way out of this crisis. We will not be able to build to keep up with the current demand. So we need to also invest in community care and other things, which they are doing. So uh, And uh, programs to get people from hospitals to home instead of to long-term care. So as a holistic approach, approach I think within the next few years, certainly before the next election, uh, Ontarians will start seeing results for their loved ones. Karen? Well, I, you know, in answer to your question, how long can the current government keep blaming the former government? I, I think it's easy right now because the Liberals are really not, uh, they're still in the process of rebuilding. And while they uh, remain a seven or eight person party in the legislature without a leader, a rump, a rump, like, <laughs> you know, as sad as it is, but while they're still a rump party, they are still ripe for the kicking. And I think the challenge actually for the conservatives is to remind people that the liberals actually created the mess because once they rebuild and, and get a new leader, then it will be a much harder, uh, uh, uh position to take. Uh, now, one. One of the things that they we are expecting tomorrow, and, and uh, I'm going to be discussing this in the segment that follows this one, is an overhaul of OHIP to make it more transparent. Um, where does that fit? You know, that's one of those, I, I think, risky things, to be honest, because it, it gets into the, um, you know, the e-health. I don't know if you remember the e-health scandal yeah, and the yeah. e-health records and how it was going to be more, it would be easier to transfer information from one provider to another. And in theory, it all sounds really, really very um, modern and progressive and helpful and transparent, but in practice, it is very complicated and these projects tend to take on a life of their own. the billings. The billings. And, uh, you know, so it's one of those things that it sounds great, but how it actually gets done could be quite complicated and could be risky. Uh, Michael, do you agree? Yeah, it's not your standard uh, disclosure of uh, public sector wages like you see with the Sunshine List, because obviously with, with medical billings, there's obviously a huge amount of overhead. So I do hope that in uh, media, I, I think disclosure is a good thing, but I do hope that media coverage of these billings are done responsibly oh, to not create the okay. politics of envy. Uh, Aleem? Yeah, this is a, this is a, a, a big um a big issue. If you look at uh, uh, OHIP uh, in and of itself, and I think this is going to come out in the fall economic uh, statement. I mean, this is a $16 billion uh, uh, plan. When you look at OHIP, it, yep. it is core. It is core to the government. Um, it is core to how our doctors uh, and other healthcare professionals uh, get paid. And so I think the question really is, is, you know, how do we look at ensuring that, that there is uh, no misuse and that, um, you know, the services that are, uh, that are uh, 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 rendered uh, and, and delivered, that's, that's what is, is being paid for. Um, and, you know, how do we ensure that recovering funds, um, you know, when, when billings are incorrect, um, uh, you know, how do we make sure that that 
that doesn't happen. Like there, there are a whole series of things uh, that I, I think this government is focused on to make sure uh, that the public is educated on what OHIP actually is, what it pays for, um, reducing the risk of fraud, um, and really at the end of the day, come back to the fact that that the money saved uh, around this will go directly to to the front line. I think that's the vision of this of this government. Um, and cracking down on on something like this that is is just massive in size, um, it's their vision, I believe, that that they will find um, some some savings and, and cut down on the misuse that you know inherently is is, is happening, unfortunately, in, in Ontario today. Okay. Um, finally, on the province, uh, Doug Ford pre- presenting himself as as a unifier, uh, not a um, not a hard hitting kind of a guy, and offering to organize a premier's meeting here. I mean, do you buy the? New Doug Ford? Well, maybe, you know, in the six weeks that he had his time out, he had time for reflection and thought that there could be a better way to lead. <laughs> and so I, you know, uh, part of what I think makes it successful, and Michael, I'm sure you would have agree with this, is that when a when a politician does something that's counterintuitive to who you think they are, it almost takes on even more credibility. Because this is the Doug Ford we haven't seen that, you know, fundamentally, I think Ontarians would like to see in their premier as someone who can work with people who can get things done, who can um, fulfill this role. So, uh, you know, I think uh, whatever his motives are, if he can get the premiers together and start um, ha- starting a conversation about national unity, then good on him. Yeah, and I would add, I would add to that if I can, that there is a course of uh, support behind uh, Ontario. And, and a lot of that is ideological because if you look at, you know, Premier Ford's counterparts, uh, you know, whether it's, it's, it's in Alberta, uh, whether it's in Saskatchewan or Manitoba, ideologically, uh, you know, these premiers are aligned. And so, um, you know, having, having him speak, uh, about strengthening the Federation, uh, is, is something that I think, um, you know, lends weight to, to the ideals and to the thinking of of his his colleagues in other in other parts of the country, um, you know it, it's it's incredible that you're hearing the premier of Ontario saying that you know we need to work together and think about the uh, you know the, the hardship uh, that people in Alberta are are facing. Um, he's also taking advantage, I think, of a minority government um, and in his own way uh, for. You know, a prime minister that that really campaigned against Doug Ford uh, to get elected. We heard that name uh, so much. This is the angle that he's taking to say, uh, "I'm I'm ready to bring it together, um, and I'm ready to work with the prime minister." He said that yesterday uh, in a transit uh, announcement. Um, it is it, it it does seem a bit a bit counterintuitive, but let's face it: this is the second largest budget. Uh, and obviously the largest province um, in in the country. So uh, he holds a lot of weight. If he's able to pull this off, um, I think this is uh, this is going to signal uh, a premier that that really wants to take Ontario uh, and and ensure that it it continues to lead um, and is a key part of strengthening the federation. Michael. Um- Doug Ford himself has said, "Hey, I haven't changed," and I've heard a lot of his. Uh, I don't know, uh, in the States they would call them surrogates, saying, 
all of that nasty stuff that was all on his former chief of staff, Dean French. Uh, is is that your view of it? Well, I think this is a perfect example of that because I think you know the premier uh, offering to get this meeting together is really a good thing. But if you look at uh, his the meetings he's held with various premiers quietly since the election, Premier Higgs and Premier Bo and Premier Kenny and, and Pallister and King and Coulard. He, he really has already been doing this. So it's uh, really within his brand to bring people together. He's been hosting these meetings for over a year now, quietly, not making a circus about it. But I think the country definitely uh, in need of the premiers to work together more strongly now than ever before, that we have a governing party that has uh, two provinces where they have no representation. So I think it's, it's really great to see the premiers coming together. And uh, it's really more of Doug Ford doing what he's been doing uh, since being elected. Okay, um, moving to Ottawa Sorry, now. Just one, oh, more, what? one last uh, footnote, okay. though. But it is just a delightful way for Doug Ford to stick it in the eye of Justin Trudeau. Because I mean, he was his kicking boy for the six weeks of the election or so. He was, and he, that was, and he didn't. He was, you know, he was a lot quiet. Of, and, he was so self controlled. And I so have now to say. he comes back and says, "I'm going to show you how it's done." And he's mm-hmm. like, "This is really a delightful poke in the eye that is um, t- telling Justin that uh, he's going to do what he, what Justin Trudeau was not able to do, which is to bring the country together." Okay, that's an interesting take. Uh, and moving along mm-hmm. to Ottawa. So uh, yesterday, Elizabeth May stepped down as Green Party leader. Yes, she has personal reasons. She signaled before that, that uh, she wouldn't be hanging around as leader much beyond this election. But it was part of it that, that she didn't really uh, accomplish what a lot of people thought she should have, Karen. Yeah, I, I think so. I think she, um, she recognized that her time as leader, she had done all that she could do. And if she couldn't make any breakthroughs in this final election, there um, there needed to be somebody at, at the helm because it really was an election for the Green Party. Uh, all the stars had lined up for this was theirs to take. And yet they still weren't able to make the gains that they had hoped. So um, I, 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 I credit her for staying with the movement for as long as she did. But I do think it's time for a change. Um, Aleem, do you think somebody else is going to be able to do what she couldn't? You know, look, she's had a, a uh, impressive record, I think, as as the leader, um, you know, notwithstanding um, the fact that there, there are only three seats. Keep in mind, that's that's actually growth um, from, from what they've had uh, previously, from really bre- being a fringe movement. Uh, we've seen the issues of, of, of climate change um, uh, and even some of the indigenous, indigenous uh, issues that she's wanted to leave on, uh, uh, primarily from British Columbia, Kind of enter the national uh, discussion. So, you know, look, big shoes to fill um, for her. Uh, it's quite possible uh, that they may go to the outside, um, you know, to, to look at, at somebody who's, who's not, um, uh, you know, part of, of the party apparatus uh, to, to bring in and, and, to, and to lead the party. There's, there's some opportunity um, with that uh, as well. Lots of names have been discussed. Uh, you know, Jody Wilson-Rabel was offered the job, and, and apparently her name is is still the running uh, as well for that. Um, and it, it, it keeps that British Columbia um, presence alive, uh, which, of course, is where Elizabeth May is from. Um, but, you know, a little bit of time to go before we, we see who's going to be in there. What's really interesting is that a few days ago, I know that there were a few uh, folks within the Green Party that started a, uh, a, a petition. Uh, that said that it is time uh, for for a new leader. And, uh, you know, look, given she's turned uh, 65, not to be 
age discriminatory to the Zoomer listeners, but you know, it was really, uh, I think, not time for an her issue. To, to, <laughs> yeah, to look at to look at uh, uh, passing the torch, and uh, uh, I don't think there's a shortage of of of, uh, of, of people that that she'll have the party left to to decide on uh, is is their new leader uh, uh, come uh, come next year, uh, Michael. So. Uh, the lack of a climate change plan is, is one of the things that people cite as the reason that the conservatives did not do better in the election. Uh, is is that going to contribute to this kind of uh, knives are out for Andrew Scheer that seems to be happening now? Look, I think uh, the party is uh, fairly split on that. So we'll have to see how the caucus meeting goes tomorrow. And uh, if it gets to the convention uh, in, in Toronto in April, uh, where that goes. But I think you're, you have conservatives. Uh, it is a big tent party. And there's certainly uh, members of the party who I think, like Michael Chong, would like to see uh, a different path forward on uh, environmental issues. But for, for the most part, the base, base of the party, I think, would just say we really needed to have articulated our climate plan better uh, not copy uh, the liberal or the green plan. Yeah, I mean, I I do think that um, the conservatives did misread the country a little bit on the climate change initiative and uh, that the fact that they don't, it's not just that they don't have a plan, they're, they're just not credible in that space yet. And so they need to do, I, I think, some soul searching about whether that space they want to occupy and if so, how. Because right now, I don't think anybody believes anything they have to say about the climate climate change. And Aleem, do they have to uh, get rid of Andrew Scheer, or is that just uh, the old conservatives uh, shooting at each other? Well, you know, look, certainly the knives, uh, the knives are out right now, um, and uh, there will be a, uh, you know, a, a leadership review that, that will be coming up. Um, I, I think it's still a little bit early uh, to call the shots on uh, uh, on him, he's still young. He's he's um, um, I think a little bit uh, uh, undefined um, coming out of the election. Um, people still don't know and, and, and are, are mixed with his personal views on on issues uh, versus party views, and I think that could cost him. Um, but there is there again with this party, no shortage of of uh, of, of people uh, that would be interested. Uh, in taking a run uh, at that job. We've seen the knives come out fairly early. Um, I don't think that's unusual, um, you know, for, uh, for, um, uh, for the party. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a matter of time before, um, you know, he has to really look uh, inside and, and, and decide what he wants to do. Um, and uh, this is a guy that's been in politics for a long time, for a relatively... Uh, young age. He has been at this for a while. Um, but um, I think if they want to form a government, uh, that is something they're going to perhaps have to take a, uh, a look at. And in the same way as the Green Party, perhaps choosing somebody from the outside. Um, you know, we've seen what happens when you can choose a leader uh, from the outside. And we saw it with Premier Ford, um, somebody that, that, that uh, you know, wasn't uh, an MPP, of course. Um, that could hold uh, some weight. Maybe somebody that's left uh, who wants to come back, like a Peter McKay. Um, and, uh, and, and so time will tell, but uh, no shortage. Time will tell. Time no will shortage tell. Of, uh, of people that are chomping at the bit, I'm sure, at, at, at that job. Okay. Uh, sorry, guys, we are now officially out of time. Thank you so much to our strategy panel, Michael Diamond, Aleem Kanji, and Karen Stintz. Thank you. 
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air, and The Garden Show.